brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Happy days are here again, Higher Side Chatters, as we put the mind star on top of the podcast tree that is our long-running elemental series with Shamanjaneer. And I'm sure many of us have shared the sentiment that something is just not right with the way in which our modern system engages with the world around us, with all of its destruction, combustion, pollution solutions, rather than evoking harmony, synergy, and sustainability. And it's a nice hippy-dippy sentiment to say that we should be better as a species, but until this Shamanjaneer series, many of us didn't have better ideas to replace the problem-causing practices of the oil oligarchs and the titans of industry that got us here. But we covered air in our introductory conversation about the overarching ether theory, alchemy, Ormus, and the Sonora Aero Club, showing suppressed examples of what might be possible if we embraced ether physics and adopted a more naturalist outlook and approach to energy and fuel. Then in round two, we talked about the Earth and the lost knowledge of the Native Americans, flipping the script on the story we've been told of primitive savages living off the land to a deeper understanding of their engineered abundance, land spirits, and damn near magical ways to yield more from the Earth by abiding by the Golden Ratio. Thirdly, we tackled water alchemy, Victor Schauberger, and the overlooked properties of H2O, how we can energize and positively charge water for better health and abundance rather than pumping dead fluoride-filled fuel through lead pipes like we tend to do. And in our last conversation, we took a detour from the alchemical series to dedicate a day to fascism and how those oily appendages of the nefarious few manipulate our mindset and politics to creep back into any system wise enough to try and root them out. But today, folks, today is the culmination of a long-running thread that began back in July of 2016, and as it's progressed, I have learned so much about alternative models, bright minds, and better practices that would be the crux of ether physics and the alchemical sciences if we were ever truly to break that quarantine. So here to tie it all together with his theory of the mind, my friend and yours, Shamanjaneer, my man, welcome back to the higher side. Well, it's always a great intro. So. <laughs> Man, it's a mouthful just to cover where we've been, but I really am in awe of this series. It's one of my favorite things that's happened on THC, so big thanks to you for bringing it all to us. I am proud to provide the platform for it at least a little contribution. And today we're getting into your theory of the mind and sort of the true fundamentals of reality. It's the thread that can kind of bring it all together and I guess, how do we kick this off? I know where we're going and it's going to get pretty crazy, but maybe a little overview of the mind to grease the wheels? Yeah, so most people, when they think of the mind, they think of the brain. That's basically what we've been told is that consciousness, it's an epiphenomenon. It's a byproduct of material interactions and chemical interactions within the brain. And they do recognize, you know, that there's electrical activity in there and things like that. But basically, it's like we're a bunch of robots and we're operating off of genetic programming and outside stimuli to generate our consciousness. But the thing is that there are 
a lot of examples that poke enormous holes in that idea. And this is where the whole concept of reality starts to break down. And I think that's one of the reasons why this stuff has been so suppressed is because the powers that be realize that if we know who we are at a more fundamental level and that our consciousness is not just something that sits in our heads, but that we're an integral part of a conscious reality, that that would completely break down the system of control that they have established and that it would allow us to be able to get uncontrolled information from existence and reality itself. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, man, the mind does unfold into a pretty deep rabbit hole of its own. And I think you nailed it with why this is such a crucial component of the big conspiracy. And we're going to get into all the ways that things could be different. But I also wanted to ask you about the two hemispheres and just how distinct they really are, because this will speak to your point about accessing uncontrolled information. And to quote the Forgotten Mind essay that you sent me, you wrote, As far as I've been able to discern, there are four functional aspects of the mind that are responsible for our consciousness. There is the conscious aspect we're all familiar with, the subconscious aspect we often have difficulty in interpreting, the unconscious aspect, which most of us simply react to, and the sub-unconscious aspect, which contains our essence. In functional terms, the conscious mind is made up of male, serial, and female, parallel aspects, as is the unconscious mind. And this does come up in some of the supplemental material you sent me also, but maybe you could explain the different kinds of processing and where they correspond to for the uninitiated out there. We have serial, parallel, and even quantum processing. And this is a pretty important aspect of the big picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's called the unconscious mind, but really it's more the superconscious mind. It's just been characterized like that in psychology. So we have our conscious mind, and then we have our unconscious mind. Our conscious mind is made up of our left and right hemispheres of our brain. And the left hemisphere is more serial, and the right hemisphere is more parallel. And then that pattern is mirrored in the unconscious mind as well, or the superconscious mind, whichever way you want to think about it. Mm -hmm. So to start with, Serial and parallel processing. Serial processing is basically like what you think of decision making as in your conscious mind. You go down a path and you make some assumptions and then you test them out and you might go down the wrong path and then have to go back and correct some of your assumptions. And, you know, that's kind of how most people think about thinking. But basically, that's a very tortuous path, and it's one that takes a lot of effort to make any real progress on. But there's also parallel processing, and now we're seeing this actually in our computers, where we have all these different dyes on our computers, and the information is being parallel processed, which means that basically it's broken up into smaller packets, and it just goes through this large matrix of computations that happen all at the same time. So you know, if you break things up and just have very simple operations done, you can get through a lot more information quicker, but at the cost of not being able to do these complex operations like you can with serial processing. Hmm. And then when it comes to quantum processing, so the whole thing with quantum processing is that you're essentially achieving a resonance with the correct answer in that way. And by doing so, you just pull the answer out of the substructure of reality and you're able to then get the answer quickly. But the thing is that you're only getting a very small aspect. Your realizations from this can be very vast and broad, but it has to be broken down by the other information processing methods in order for it to actually be digestible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. And there is a real difference you can see in people. You know, it's pretty common to hear a left-handed person called out as, oh, you're left-handed, you must be creative. Because in a certain sense, we recognize there is a difference between people who are more left or right-brained, as they say, but that is about as deep as we take it sometimes. Yeah, and there's a talk that was given by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor called My Stroke of Insight, and it's a really good illustration of this because she talks about she had a stroke and the left hemisphere of her brain was being affected, but her right hemisphere wasn't. As blood flow came and went, she would have moments where she was able to focus and try and call someone to tell them that she needed help. And then like falling back into this really unfocused and getting this barrage of thought and imagery. And then like all of a sudden she'd be able to focus again as your left hemisphere came online for a moment. So that's something where you can get a real feel for how this works on a consciousness level. Mm -hmm. or an experiential level. Yeah, that was really interesting to hear that TED Talk where she's just describing as a brain doctor studying her own stroke and just seeing one hemisphere just completely kind of shut down and just living in the other one and just being like, yeah, I can't differentiate my hand from anything. Like there's no separation. Yeah. Uh, it was just really intense, the details of her trying to just dial a phone uh, to get help. Uh, really fascinating, but it does give you a lot of insight into when one hemisphere is gone, this is how just the other one in isolation operates. So basically, these are the two forms of processing, and this is also mirrored in the unconscious mind as well. So in the conscious mind, it's the left and right hemisphere, but in the unconscious mind, it's basically your limbic system and your brainstem, which actually connects to all of your organs. Now, the brainstem, obviously, is pulling all this information from all these different places. So that is the parallel system. And the limbic system, because that's what actually releases hormones and different neurotransmitters, and that's the more male aspect. That's the one that's actually affecting the rest of your body and your organs. So. That's where these two things start to come together. And so the main two organs, or well, I'd say there's three main organs in the subunconscious mind that connect up to the brainstem. And those would be the heart, the lungs, and also the stomach. And the heart, because it is a electromagnetic coupling for all these different organs. And then also, and it provides a pulsation through the body that acts as a entrainment system for everything. Mm -hmm. And then the lungs are very important because they have a huge function in the release of DMT and things like that. But it's also where you're able to have a conscious control over something that is normally unconscious. Hmm. So that provides a link between the conscious and the unconscious minds. And that's one reason why there's a lot of breathing techniques that are used in terms of meditation is because that is where you're able to get this entrainment to be happening between the conscious and the unconscious minds. Right on. Okay, I was going to actually have you elaborate on that because I had the quote written down, breathing is the most important tool at our disposal for expanding our understanding of our minds and controlling its function. And it got me thinking about things Michael Greer had said, and the Wim Hof breathing method, exactly what you're talking about. But this term organ consciousness, I've heard people somewhat talk about this circle around the idea, but I think that's fascinating to think that our organs themselves are conscious and have functions outside of the brain, because that's not typically the way these things are thought about. Well, actually, all organs have a small neuronic bundle that are attached to them. A mini brain. A mini brain. <laughs> and like in the heart, it's about the size of like a wasp's brain. But the stomach, it has the same number of neurons as a dog's brain. Wow. That's why when people say, oh, I feel it in my gut, 
that's your unconscious giving you a hint at some of the information it has from these more quantum interactions. Wow. And so, you know, that's what that gut feeling actually is. That's the most powerful expression of your unconscious mind that you can pick up on. Interesting. And also there's a lot of musculature associated with the gut as well. So you can get that tension that builds up and that can be an expression of your unconscious state. How's about we go into the multiple personality article? Yes, I was going to ask you about that too, because of course, when we look at things on the edges, we can kind of get a better understanding of certain material rather than looking at what's normal. So, of course, in this case, you look at multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia, and they become pretty useful tools for kind of mapping out the edges of the mind. What does uh, multiple personality disorder say to you? How do we fold that in? So, at this point, we've talked a bit about information processing in the mind. And, you know, I mean, obviously, that still ties back to the other model that we're all told, which is that we're basically robots kind of meat robots and that our mind is this epiphenomenon like software running on a computer. Mm -hmm. But when you look at things like multiple personality and the effects that the mind can have on the body, like they have different physiology for different personalities. Eyeglasses will change. Deafness will change people's blood chemistry, their allergies. Scars and marks will appear and disappear. Eye color will change. So there's all sorts of things that can happen on a physical level just as a result of your mental state. Yeah. And I think this shows that the mind is actually where the real action is. And the brain is just a organ for its expression. It's not really the generative power of the mind. Right. To use that whole analogy that our brain is just a receiver for consciousness, it's like the signal is the real meat, the real juice. The antenna is just a wire that gets the signal. It's really not the crux of the technology. Yeah, it's like saying that Dan Rather lives in a box in your living room. (laughs) Yes. And man, it is just so crazy. The physiological differences in multiple personality disorder... I guess I didn't really know that. I mean, that movie Split and the coming sequel Glass, if you've just seen the trailer, it is crazy. They do show that stuff. In one personality, he's like a superhuman, like super jacked. And then in other personalities, he looks like a regular guy. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie Split, but I liked Unbreakable. It's all in the mix. I mean, whatever, whatever. But it seems like that movie goes into it. I did read an article about M. Night Shyamalan and how he was off limits, blackballed by Hollywood for a while there. (laughs) (laughs) He went into some interesting territory and things like signs and all that for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right on. Well, should we also talk about Dean Radin? Of course, people should be familiar with him from a previous episode, but you sent me a presentation he gave on his direct consciousness double slit experiment, which shows scientific proof that the mind does affect matter, that intention has a real effect in the world. And Dr. Radin's work is one of the major things this year that pushed me over the edge of, oh, this magical thinking stuff is fun and interesting, to more of a, no, this is real, this is very provable and quite serious, you should actually refine yourself to be better at it, manifestation and all that. Mm -hmm. But I guess, can you talk to us about that study and how it folds into the theory of the mind overall? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of double-slit experiments that have been done. There's even one that has different paths that the light can take, and it shows that even after something has happened, the past can be changed based off of a sequence further down and whether something's observed or not. So it's very interesting, and there's a lot of permutations of it, but In his discussion about it, he basically talks about the fact that observation and specifically what they call, I can't remember what exactly the term was, but basically it's a mind or a extra dimensional quality that needed to be 
present in the experiment, like an observer, a plant or an animal or a person, some sort of living thing that would be in this detection network for the experiment to actually work properly. And that's something that was actually at the foundation of quantum theory from the beginning. All of the original quantum theorists talked about this. And the actual reason why quantum theory started to come about was because they were doing plasma experiments and they noticed that their consciousness had an effect on the plasma. Huh. And so that's where this stuff actually started. So that's how all this kind of theory actually came about. But when you talk to people about quantum physics, they want to use it to build computers and they want to use it to make things like quantum dots and new nanomaterials. But when it comes down to the ramifications and especially the history of that theory with regard to consciousness itself, they don't want to talk about it. So it's something that is repressed in science, but is an integral part of science. And that's something that I think needs to be resolved. Right. It's really like another parallel to psychedelics. I mean, we've talked about this stuff before, and it might even come up further down the road today. But anything that leads you to an awakening that has you buying less products, buying into consumerism less, buying into the authority less, and feeling like this one life might not be all you have. Any of those kind of thoughts, they're all quarantined. And this would be another example of it. Just learning about the mind itself from this angle can lead you to the same places you might be led if you studied psychedelics or meditation even. I mean, that was another thing with Dean Radin's experiment is that Yes, conscious attention was shown that it can collapse the wave into a particle at a measurably higher rate than chance, but he saw higher rates even still with meditators than non-meditators, which is interesting. And I mean, I don't want to get too fundamental and ask the same 101 questions here, but I guess I would ask you about meditation. It's such a huge component. What does it actually do? Does it recalibrate us? Is it like running the Windows defragmenter? So... If you read that CIA document about the gateway process, it talks about the holographic nature of reality and it talks about entrainment of the hemispheres together and being able to use that to go down to different levels of consciousness. And one thing I thought was really interesting is it talks about the blinking in and out of reality and by focusing your consciousness into the part of reality that extends beyond time, you can get into these going into the past and going into the future and things like that with your mind. Yeah, that document was crazy. Just for context for people, it was a 1983 CIA document approved for release 20 years later in 2003. They're analyzing the Monroe Institute's gateway process. But yeah, like you said, they talk about so much more. The cosmic egg, time travel, several forms of altered states and manifestation. It's interesting you mentioned that kind of flicker aspect because I did have a previous guest who thought he mathematically figured out the flicker of the universe. But I don't know, it just ties into a lot of strange threads from this year. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a very very important document because it shows that the CIA and the deep state or whoever you want to call it have had knowledge of this stuff for quite a while. And obviously here's somebody, I can't remember, I think it was like six months or something he spent researching all of this for the CIA to determine what he wrote in there. And if that's all it takes is a guy and some money to let him do six months worth of research to kind of decode all this. And I mean, I've learned about all this stuff on my own, you know, in my spare time. And it took me longer, but somebody with the resources can do it in six months. It's, <laughs> this is something that really needs to be out there, but it's not. And, you know, why is that? It's because of what I was talking about before. They don't want people to realize that we can do better. As long as they keep people thinking that our reality is just a product of material things and that we need to get our piece of the pie before it's all gone and race down the gutter, <laughs> you know, obviously that's not a winning solution. 
<laughs> but they're doing that for control. And I think it also has to do with consciousness and what they know from the past. And, you know, we'll get into that a bit more with regard to how I think consciousness is changing. And one thing I wanted to throw out here is that I really think, I guess, intention science, for lack of a better term, is pretty amazing stuff. They tend to show the effect is pretty subtle, but definitely measurable. And that's without training or growing up with the view that all this stuff is possible, like you were just saying. I'm sure it could be much more effective if we promoted this worldview from birth. And Gordon White has sort of taken this to the next level with his premium members by scheduling intention sessions. And I also received Mitch Horowitz's new book from his publisher, and I haven't booked him just yet because we've been pretty magic heavy lately, and he was just on RuneSoup. But his book is called The Miracle Club, and he basically says, look, if this works, and it does, let's pull together and focus our energy at the same time each day, thus a club for making miracles. And it's that sort of experimentation that I think is really going to take this work further. Fold in the previous episodes we've done about water and about engineering abundance. It would be crazy the kind of world we could create. And just thinking that maybe the ancients had something like this, the picture gets clearer the more of this material I get into that you give to me. And it's just crazy what that world could have been like. And I mean, really, that's what it's all about is keeping us at this level where we don't think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, that's what keeps us from being able to live in that world. So that's why I think that this is probably the most important podcast I'm giving to you. <laughs> I love it. Because without changing your mind and what you think is possible and actually trying to go out there and achieve it, you never will. Failure is primarily the result of a lack of imagination. Mm. So let's go ahead and we'll talk a bit about consciousness and the quantum biology of microtubules. Sure. That Stuart Hameroff theory. Basically, what Stuart Hameroff discusses is the idea that microtubules in your cells have interactions at a quantum level. And whenever we talk about quantum, I just want to say that I wrote that Forgotten Mind essay right as I was starting to look into alchemy and stuff like that. So it leverages a lot of quantum biology. and Really, the quantum, the way I look at it is it's basically getting into the etheric without saying what the etheric is. You know, it's kind of a surface-level measurement of etheric effects is the way I look at the quantum science. So basically what quantum biology is, is that's kind of our etheric tie into this larger reality. So that happens at a cellular level. And because it happens at a cellular level, you get very basic information from it, typically. And it needs to be filtered through your subconscious and your conscious mind in order to be able to really grasp what the message was. So that's part of the reason why I think there's a lot of people who go into trance states and get visions or people who have some sort of psychedelic experience and then they have to let it kind of unravel in their mind for a period of days or weeks to really get an understanding of what they've experienced. So what Dr. Hameroff is discussing is basically this connection between our cells and the substructure of reality. So that's the main thing that I want to talk about here is that's what feeds into your organs and all of your body. And then that gets sent up through your mind by the limbic system working with the rest of your brain. And that is what kind of comes into your consciousness and it gets filtered through your subconscious, which has all these overlays that have been built up in it through programming, indoctrination, and whether it's done by you or whether it's done by your family or your church or the media. That's one of the reasons why there's all these messages embedded in all these different religions. And they have tie-ins, but they're all interpreted a bit differently it's because they all go through this different cultural and personal filter before it is able to pass into the conscious mind. Hmm. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I mean, it's deep stuff, and I am an idiot. But uh, these microtubules, I guess, when that presentation, when I was watching that presentation, he says something to the effect of consciousness is more like a song than a computation. And I thought that was a nice sentiment. And he plays the sound of the vibration going on in our microtubules. And it was kind of weird. It invoked a strange feeling, man. It's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to hear that. That, that like, you know, eerie hum. Yeah, it was a little weird. But I guess if we're going to use a computer analogy for simpletons like me, should we think of the microtubules as like the wiring that consciousness is using to be delivered throughout our body, like the way wiring of a computer, you... It would be like the antenna. Okay, it is the antenna. Instead of just simplistically saying the brain, we would say... But what he's actually measuring on there is that there's computations being done on the microtubules. Okay. That's how he establishes that there's this quantum connection. So there is some information processing that's done at that level. Interesting. And... This was also a component, but what is the connection between the microtubules and ultrasound? I had a previous guest who was very anti-ultrasound. She thought it was pretty harmful to unborn babies and produced radiation. I don't know, but he talks about a control group of mice who they were administering a drug and the one control group got no drug and they only got ultrasound and it cured their cancer? Yeah, I don't know about that. That's wild. <laughs> Well, so you got to realize ultrasound is basically vibrations. Mm -hmm. This is just kind of my off-the-cuff analysis, but it's essentially vibrations, and there's a frequency associated with those vibrations. So if you modulate it properly, it could potentially, you know, kind of like, I think we've talked about rife systems before. Yes. So if it's dealing with cancer, it could potentially destroy the cancer cells by tuning to the specific cancer frequency and being able to disrupt them and have them flush from the body after that. And that's what Rife was doing with viruses and specifically the cancer virus itself. So they could have also tapped into disrupting the ecology of cancer in the body. So that's another possibility. But yeah, I mean, there's also genetic changes or things like that that could potentially happen from something like that. So if you have the wrong frequency, you could damage your, your DNA by breaking apart specific areas. So I don't think that ultrasound is something that's really safe. And I heard that episode and, you know, I think it's a tragedy that, you know, it's going on. Basically for everything that we have in terms of material technology, there's a allegory in terms of this more spiritual or implosion rather than explosion based or you know whatever you want to call it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. types of technology so you know there's things that could be done but it's not accepted science today right and it's crazy how simple so many of these things seem to be light therapy sound therapy i mean this isn't super complex or invasive stuff and it's basically free in terms of the tools they're very basic but the understanding going into wielding those tools has to be a lot deeper. Right, right. And so, like, we have tools that are very complex, but the understanding that's needed to wield them is a more simple level. <laughs> Funny how that is. Another, I guess it's more of a paper that I sent you, was Heart, Brain, and Spirit by Dr. Muhammad Omar Salem. Yes. And that spoke a bit about the heart and also the interaction between the organs and you know somebody has a heart transplant they can actually get memories from the person who donated their heart and same with other organs people will get aspects of their personality or memories associated with the person who died and that's some proof right there that of all the stuff i've been talking about and there's one way to look at that where people would say, oh, well, that must mean memories are literally stored in that organ. But I guess would, you, would a better way of thinking about it be that that's just the fractal nature, that all the little components contain at least a piece of the whole? Well, if you think about quantum theory and the idea of entanglement, then the person receiving the organ is becoming entangled with that other person at a quantum level. 
that organ, it definitely has a tie to that other person as well. So if you think about the microtubules being like antennas, it's still pulling in this information from that other energy field as well. That's wild. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. This is kind of a random question, but do we know where memory is stored? It's touched on in some of the things you sent me, but I just wonder why something like chronic cannabis use would have such an effect on memory. I mean, I know it's getting into those other realms, but there's definitely a connection there. So I would say that there's kind of two repositories of memory. There's one encoded in proteins, and I believe Stuart Amaroff talks about that, but there's also kind of the energetic component as well, because another thing that Stuart Amaroff discusses is the fact that he believes we are capable of forming memory outside of our bodies. So that can't be purely chemical as well. Mm -hmm. So that is dealing more with the energetic aspect. I would say it's kind of both. But another thing about the mind, there's a book called The Holographic Universe that was written in the late 90s. And it discusses how there have been experiments done in rats where portions of the brain were removed. They got to the point where they chopped these poor rats up to the point where they could barely move. And like right before they could barely move, they could still run the maze. This is a rat with 10% of its brain left and it's still able to run the maze. So that brings up the whole aspect of holographic memory and getting into the whole aspect that was brought up by that CAA document regarding the holographic nature of memory and reality. So, yeah. <laughs> That's not, that may not be as clean of an answer as most people would want, but that's what I've got. Hey, it is what it is. It seems like memory is somewhere else. Maybe cannabis tends to gunk up those works. The other thing is that Stuart Amaroff is an anesthesiologist. And so he deals with that aspect of being completely unconscious and unaware of what's going on around you and not recording any memory at least in the body at the time. And it could be that, you know, memory has this kind of resonance quality to it, where you're actually drawing upon something else. That's kind of interesting because I've heard the term state-specific memory, and then I've heard people say, if you lose something when you're high or drunk, and then in your sober mind, you can't figure it out, if you if you get drunk or high again you might get it back, like literally state-specific memory, or even the fact yeah. that if you get high, let's say when I went to Amsterdam, even though I have a high tolerance, I'm going to get higher because even geographically, there's a difference in surroundings. It's a weird theory, but I mean, it's kind of in this cake. The morphic field of the pot cloud. <laughs> <laughs> there's something to it. There is something to it. Yeah. I mean, that can happen. And I think there's two classes of ghost encounters or spirit encounters. And one is basically where people are encountering a disembodied spirit. But then another one is where there's been an imprint of consciousness that's been made on an otherwise inanimate object. Mm -hmm. And that is replayed, that feeling or whatever happened that caused that imprint, that psychic negative to be implanted in that material, then it'll just kind of play it out over and over again. And I think some haunting and ghost encounters are based off of something like that, where just another consciousness comes in and kind of replays that. Mm -hmm. But then there's also where it's actually a disembodied entity. You know, it's kind of like UFO encounters and things like that. I think that there's deep state programs, there's potentially people from other planets or the interior of the Earth, but then there's also entities that are living in our ionosphere that might be plasma-based, <laughs> and there's interdimensional entities. There's all sorts of things that it could be. You know, I don't think that we need to limit ourselves to saying, you know, well, I believe in Sasquatch, but you're talking about fairies, so <laughs> you're way off my radar, or like, okay, I'll talk to you about 
interdimensional consciousness, but giants are a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I know we're going to get deeper into the idea of plasma beans, but God, this is just a, a mind-blowing idea with some of the stuff that we had both been digesting recently because I went to contact in the desert and they give you the night vision goggles and you look up in the sky and you see all kinds of movement. And I don't know, I guess I didn't have a box to put that in. I was just like, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's not like I'm seeing craft necessarily, but I'm seeing something up there that aren't stars and they're moving all over the place. And then, you know, I think about Guess I've had, like Gordon, who have made mention that space is probably more water-like. I mean, even Paul LaViolette talked about that. I mean, if ether is kind of like water, maybe space instead of a vacuum should be thought of as a medium in which life can actually exist. And then you showed me some of these clips of entities moving around in the sky that look like amoebas they just look like amoebas and the theory is that maybe plasma was the first thing to gain consciousness maybe these beings though they don't have necessarily a humanoid form are vastly super intelligent and ancient they almost sound like lovecraft's old ones to a degree like maybe these are the fundamental life forces and maybe they maybe were protected by our atmosphere but at certain periods they come in and feed on the energy in here it gets deep, but I think that there's a, a real case to be made that life is quite strange and there's some super intelligent things that don't necessarily have humanoid form. We tend to think there's a hierarchy and that a humanoid form is going to be the most intelligent, but these things seem to be completely foreign, only visible sometimes, translucent and transparent at other times, and maybe they can manifest to look like a craft and maybe they do kind of help our earth and work with it. It's crazy, but I'm way past gray aliens at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing about what you're talking about, which Trevor James Constable calls the sky critters. Mm-hmm. One of the big things that you'll notice when people are observing NASA footage is they keep showing these halos or dots moving across the screen. And, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, well, that's just dust with the sunlight reflecting off of it, and so it looks bigger, and blah, blah, blah. But there's actually that footage that you saw from Trevor James Constable of the tether, and that's a very good example of these things because you can actually see them going in front of the tether. And so that gives you a relative scale for how big these things are. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that they were showing in that, they ranged anywhere from football field or two all the way up to like half a mile, mile. Yeah, yeah. So these are big, big entities (laughs) if they're up there. And it seems like they are. And, you know, I mean, Trevor James Constable, like you were saying about infrared vision goggles, he started taking pictures of these things, I think it was back in the 60s, with infrared and ultraviolet film. And I think he actually found some specific formulations of film. I mean, you know, back then, film was the big thing. So there are all these different formulations people were coming up with for better color enhancement. Right. And so the one that he found had specific frequency peaks in the ultraviolet infrared range. And so by using that film, he was able to pick these things up best. Right. Because that's where these things are able to be seen. We can't see it in our visual spectrum that we have with our eyes, but at these edges is where they can be seen. Mm -hmm. And with this context we've been talking about today of this quantum realm or an ethereal realm or this flicker, once you have that context for a model, is it so weird to think that there's beings that can alter their density or jump from one side of the flicker to the other? It's not to me. It's, It's seeming way more reasonable. And when people see paranormal entities or crafts that just kind of disappear, maybe they can control that to a degree. It's crazy. And this model of space, I mean, I'm starting to feel like we live on a rock inside an air bubble in a cosmic ocean with ocean-like creatures floating around out there. It's like all just a matter of scale. It really is kind of like you look in the ocean at 
these amoeba-like things. And then you look in the sky at the things he was capturing. They look very similar. Maybe as above, so below. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with these sky critters is, you know, it's evidence that there's a lot more out there than we know about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing it speaks to is that what they're using for their propulsion is a fundamental aspect of our reality at some level. So why would just us use it or just these aliens use it? Why wouldn't natural creatures that can leverage this energy and this ability to create this bubble of reality for the purposes of traveling between places? Why wouldn't natural creatures do that as well? And there be something that can exploit this feature of reality. Right. Wow, man. Well, obviously, this is a whole lot of stuff, all fascinating. As we're trying to wrap it up, is there anything more to say in relation to previous episodes or how your theory of the mind relates to the different elemental alchemy shows that we've done in the series or what we might do in the future? Well, definitely for sure in the future, my next talk is going to be the fire episode. That will definitely tie in with the sun and the changes that are going on and things like that. But also alchemy, because they talk about the hidden fire or the alchemist fire, and that's basically where they're using their bioplasma to affect the experiments or the transformations that they're doing. Hmm. So I think we've got that to look forward to. I mean, obviously, I could go back and try and think of all sorts of different connections to the other episodes, but, you know, we've talked about torsion and, you know, how that works, but I think that's really the way that things are transmitted at a quantum level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about how quantum theory, I think, is just kind of the surface level, and then there's this whole other science going on behind that that basically leads us to have these observations at the observable. Yeah, man, these really could be reality's biggest secrets, and it's just been so much fun. Uh, people can obviously engage with you on the Plus site and the forum. Is there anything else to say about maybe contact information or what you might want people to check out? Well, you've got a lot of links that I've given you about different topics, so feel free to forward those on. They'll be in the show notes. That's about it. Always a pleasure. And something else I do like to ask you, just because you did emerge as a plus member of the podcast, how do you feel about THC this past year or so? Am I losing it? Do I still got it? Oh, definitely. I was really excited when you said you were going to be going a bit more down the consciousness rabbit hole and getting into those sorts of topics. And I knew I, I was going to be having the mind episode it just took us a while to get around to it because of various reasons but, you know i think that we've covered a lot and you've covered a lot that leads up to this i think as well so i think it was fortuitous the path you've taken and you know i know some people aren't necessarily down with a lot of the more consciousness related or the more etheric sort of topics, but I, I would hope that this episode would help them to kind of come to terms with a way that they can understand these sorts of ideas and how it relates to their more existential reality and how they can think about it on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is conspiracy in a sense. This is a great bridge to well, if they've had us doing all this stuff in negative ways, we can bitch about that all day and raise our fists into the sky. But what is the better way to do things? Yeah. Like if we don't have that component, we can't move forward. So that is kind of my mindset with going into something like permaculture. It's kind of crazy, man, because I've talked to a few potential guests, like I mentioned, Don Nance. I hope Don listens to this, and I'd love to hear an episode with him. I hope so, too. But some of these guys, 
not naming any names in particular, but they look at my previous content or how the show is framed. And they're like, I don't fit with your show. And I'm like, no, no, no. I swear that you do because you're <laughs> giving us the alternative models, you know, and those are yeah, important. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a tough thing to cast an umbrella that everyone's comfortable with, but here we are. And I'm looking forward to the future. So thanks again, man. Really deep stuff. You're a bright mind in troubled times. Take care of yourself. Well, you know, I just hope that I'm bright enough to light the way for a few people. So. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for your platform. You got it. All right, all right, dear listeners. The long-awaited return of Shaman Janir. Not selling you nothing, just doing it for the love of the game. Breaking down his theories of the mind and a whole lot more. And if you took a shot for every time I said maybe in this show, you definitely wouldn't be going to work in the morning. <laughs> Jesus. And these episodes are always a little different preparation-wise. I'm absolutely more comfortable when I'm interviewing someone about their book. It's just a very simple ABC process. And these episodes are formed more by Shamanj sending me a long list of resources that when all compiled together, work as the building blocks for you to understand how he sees things in one area or another. Not a bad thing at all, just a little bit different in terms of how I prepare to do my hosting duties, should we say. And then these episodes themselves act as larger chunks that can be combined for an even wider overview. Or to think of it from the top down rather than the bottom up, it's really like he knows a lot about this suppressed, largely ignored, ether, physics, alchemical, nature-based model of the world. And because it is so much information, we've broken it down by element. And that's really smart, right? Because if this model is the real deal, we should be able to see how this view incorporates each element by looking at these sort of fringe researchers by looking at sagas of the past like the Sonora Aero Club and say, well, see, this could be real if we look at the sciences through this other lens, or here's how this lens would be applied to water or earth, etc. In a lot of ways, you got to wipe the slate clean on certain things, and then we rebuild the model with better resources, ones that, as we said, have been marginalized. But I do get a little self-conscious with these episodes with Shaman Janir when I put on my producer hat. And it's always in the back of my mind, but I'm trying really hard to avoid this natural tendency for two people to say, oh, well, did you see this part? Oh, yeah, dude, that part was awesome. Or did you read this? Oh, yeah, that was mind-blowing. You know, I try to be careful that we're not just talking over the audience's head about a collection of material they don't have context for. It's like you're sitting with two people that are discussing a movie that you haven't seen. I don't know, maybe it's not that different from a book you haven't read, but it feels a little different because we're pulling from so many different sources. Again, you know, not the end of the world, it's just a little bit different, but what can I really do? Because to my knowledge, the book that pulls all this together does not exist. I really, really hope that he writes it. But right now, this is probably the best way to put these threads together. This might be the best culmination, this series, that exists. And I really do feel like we're doing something quite special here. I mean, I can say that because it's 90-10 him. <laughs> but it's something like this that I'm really honored to be a part of. Because it does take a lot of these pieces to craft this alternative view. The conventional models are pretty persistent, and it's easy to get sucked back into their way of thinking. But if there wasn't anything to this suppressed perspective, you wouldn't expect us to have this level of detail or this huge a body of information or so many different disconnected researchers, past and present, that all complement each other within the alchemy ether physics paradigm. Wilhelm Reich, Victor Schauberger, T. Townsend Brown, Don Nance, Gerald Pollack, all these guys, they all have their own piece of the alchemical elephant. And I've said this a lot, but on this conspiratorial journey, each episode is always going to drop us off at a different point on the map. 
That's the nature of interviewing a bunch of different people that are at a bunch of different levels of understanding. What I'm hoping the audience can do is, regardless of what a person might say about our wider viewpoints, I hope you can understand what it is about their work that I think is worth amplifying and then obviously bringing back into the wider picture of what we've been doing for years. And it is years because I've been in this game for a while. And while it is nice to have a constant reminder of how we've been screwed in various areas and a carefully crafted worldview has been woven into society that affects almost all areas of life, that schools are doing the best they can, that medicine should be based on petrochemicals rather than nature, that leaders care about their people, that NASA doesn't have undisclosed agendas, that the FDA and AMA and all these three-letter agencies are protecting the people's well-being in their current form, that war isn't just a money-making cull, that geoengineering isn't going on all around us, that we aren't all just victims of the money spell and the economic nightmare that runs our lives isn't just some deep-rooted scam. All this stuff. And I didn't even mention aliens or magic. Obviously, these are all components of, well, I guess the higher side worldview. Higher side hypothesis sounds better, but my whole point is that we're well past a hypothesis at this point. And while it will always be in the mix, I want to slightly recalibrate to get past the we've been sold falsehoods, shaking our fist in the air and more into, okay, I get that. Well, what has been hidden and how deep can we get into it? And that actually might be a more dangerous area, even though it doesn't sound nearly as provocative. And obviously that, well, what's been hidden attitude is the driving force behind all the magic shows lately. But there are many doors to be opened, and Shamanjaneer has done so much for us in that regard. In fact, I know I say this preparation process is a bit harder for me than a typical one, but on the plus side, we get so many resources in these episodes that I could do a lot of follow-up. And I do try. The problem is that these can be really tough nuts to crack. A lot of them aren't even looking for publicity. And even though I like to do all sorts of shows, it doesn't help when I ask a serious scientist to be my next guest and they check out the website and see we all died in 2012 or the history hoax or any number of things that might rub them the wrong way and wonder if they're in the right place. So I am seeing some invitations declined from people in these areas and I'm trying to better time my requests and take into account which shows they'll be seen when they do check out the site. In today's episode, we talked a lot about this thread on the Plus Forum and this Susan Joy Renison interview, and I digested a lot more of her work in this past week, and I tried to get her to come on, but she said that she's kind of out of the game, hasn't updated her site in a while, and just isn't that interested. And I get all that, but even with a three-year-old site, she's still hitting a lot of powerful points that aren't getting out there very much. And I'd really love to see her reconsider, but I understand. And it is these alchemical science areas that we need to get into. And it's with a lot of these scientists that I would like to gain a bit more favor. Maybe listeners can help me out there, I don't know. It's just that we don't have to convince Nick Redfern or Jordan Maxwell that THC is a complimentary audience. We need to convince the rebel academics that this is a serious place. And I don't so much care if they believe in conspiracy. I just want to understand and present their work to the audience and we can fold it in ourselves. Yeah, I'm always going to ask a question or two. What do you think the implications of this are? And they might hem and haw because they don't really want to get into that dramatic conspiracy association. I can't blame them. But again, that isn't their role. That can be a certain subtext where we read between the lines. I'm sure you get it. I'm just trying to say that I have to put some thought into how and when I approach these people. And I have to accept that because I use the term conspiracy and I choose to brand myself with a weed theme that I might have created some unnecessary roadblocks. And to bring it all back, thankfully we have people like Shimanjaneer who has his finger on the pulse and can summarize things for us. 
I talked in the intro like this was the culmination or the grand finale of everything, even though we haven't done the fire episode yet, but it is the mind and the overall reality model that does tie everything together. And we went to some weird places for sure. Do check out the resources we covered. They'll be in the show notes. Trevor James Constable in particular. I think that's fascinating stuff and also the best video demonstration of a real make-it-rain organ accumulator device that I have seen. Which brings me to another point, kind of, is I am in the mindset that I'm ready to get out in the field and check out some of this stuff. I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I've got the time. I've got the resources. If you are out there quietly tinkering away on some secret science and you're willing to show me these things firsthand, I'd love to come take a look. We can keep you anonymous. We can maybe do an interview with some fake name or something, but that's not even super important as long as I can say, I've had someone who's shown me that, so I know it's real. Just throwing that out there. But either way, if you liked the first hour, maybe it's time for you to dive into a Plus membership. We don't reference the forum very much, and it does need some moderation, actually. But I bought and pay ongoing for this really nice and robust forum platform. And if you sign up for THC+, your membership to that forum is forever. I mention it because it was a part of today's show. And it is a great resource for follow-up material and higher side-centric conversation within a closed loop. So you avoid spam and trolls and all that for the most part. And it is true that for about a year, I've had way too many guests on my list than I can even get to, and more stuff's always popping up. But my first place I go when I am in need is the Plus Forum guest request thread. So keep that in mind, too. It's a lot better than emailing me if you were to post an overview and some videos and links on that thread, because I will see it eventually, and it won't get just destroyed in the avalanche that is my inbox. But since I am talking about the forum, if you have experience moderating a Zen 4.0 forum and you'd like to be an active moderator for me in exchange for a Plus membership, email me and we'll talk about it. Of course, now that I've said that, I expect about a dozen or so emails. So please tell me about your past experience and assure me that I can count on you to be somewhat active in there. Because that is important. But as for today's show, in the extra hour for plus people, we talked about space weather, that Netflix movie Bird Box, Mercury blooded plasma beans, Don Nance and the coming M state of everything. God, I thought that was interesting. We also talked about a little book called Summer with the Leprechauns and all that it contains, the role of elementals in this reality the effects of electronics on consciousness, the 5G jamming signal, DNA and light, and a whole lot more. So don't sell yourself short. I give out a ton of commercial free content and I hope to entice you to dive into hearing the whole deal, thehiresidechatsplus.com. <sighs> but I guess that does it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for listening and for trusting me to bring you the good stuff week after week. I'm going to keep trying. And I'll see you then. Your move, sorcerers of the sciences, spellcrafters of the materialist mindset, and quarantiners of the ethereal solutions. Your fucking. Maybe you'll see. Goddamn, this plan. No fan spraying on me. Should know they control the weather with all the chemicals that they spray. Oh no, it go, it gone. Bye bye. Who I? I think, I sink, and I die. Don't you know?